0: Lord God, I pray that the words I'm about to speak and the thoughts that we think as together we meditate on your word for us, your will for our lives, Lord, I pray that that would all be truly acceptable in your sight, O oh God, who is indeed our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So, three weeks ago, we began this This Is Us series by looking at the idea that the church is primarily a family. You know, we sometimes think of it as a building, or maybe uh, you know, a 501c3 non-for-profit corporation with a constitution and bylaws and things like congregation meetings later on this morning, but uh, but really, the church at its heart is a family, the family of God. And then the second week, we talked about we're a family that listens to and is guided by the Holy Spirit. We don't just decide what we wanna do on our own or what's in our own best interest. Instead, we as a family and we as members, individual members of that family, listen to and follow the Lord's leading each day of our lives. And then last week, uh, Tony was here with us and we talked about this idea that, that when we do that, when we follow God's spirit, when we live as his family, God does amazing things through us and that attracts attention to the good news of the gospel. But now this morning, I have a question for you. Are you a risk taker? And, uh, and, and I want you to think about a scale of one to 10, okay? If 10 is, I said to you, hey, I just packed my first parachute. You wanna go try it? And you said, sure, that'd be a 10 on the risk taker scale, okay? And one would be, you're not quite sure how you made it here to church this morning because you really hate to leave your house ever at all for anything, okay? So on that scale of one to 10, where would you put yourself as being a risk taker? Think about that for a second. And now turn to the person next to you, tell them what number you were thinking of. Where would you be on that risk taker scale, one to 10? Let them know. All right, okay, all right, let me get you back here. So uh, I saw a lot of people using one hand to show their number, all right. Uh, how many of you would have used one hand? Would you say you were five or less on the risk taker scale, okay? All right, yeah, quite a few. Um, I did see a few people going like this, all right. So, so how about six or more you would put yourself on that scale, okay, all right, not, not too bad. Now, now, we as human beings, when we think about risk, really what we're thinking about is not just risk, but we're thinking about reward also, and, and typically, what we will try to do as human beings is balance reward and risk. In other words, we will tolerate a little more risk if the reward is there, right? Uh, But if there's not much reward there, we're not going to be willing to risk nearly as much. And I think we we try at least when we're assessing risk to balance those two things out. But, But I would argue that a lot of the times we get that wrong. And there are two possible ways we get it wrong. One way is that we greatly underestimate the risk involved in something, and we greatly overestimate the reward as a result. For example, this guy is underestimating the risk and overestimating the reward. Uh, uh, For those on the podcast, I just showed a picture of a guy who's sitting on the ledge of about a 40-story building, looking down, and it's a point-of-view thing, so you're looking over his shoes. Now, by the way, when I put that picture in here in my laptop when I was putting this sermon together, um, I could look at it. It looked fine. Then I saw it on my big screen at home, uh, and I went, whoa. <laughs> it's kind of hard to even look at, right? This guy is underestimating the risk. I'm pretty sure before he sat on that ledge, he went, "Well." what can happen to me? I'm going to be fine. Yeah, I'm going to be, not a big deal, right? And, uh, and he was overestimating the reward. He's like, yeah, I'm going to risk my life, but it's going to be a cool view, you know, right? He's, he's overestimating uh, the reward, underestimating the risk. And quite frankly, there are a lot of people that live their lives this way. You know, we kind of call them thrill seekers. They're always looking for that next a risky thing that they can do. By the way, I don't know if you heard the story, but this week, I think it was on Tuesday, uh, there was a guy downtown Chicago went out on the 20th story ledge with a camera because he wanted to get some cool pictures. So he overestimated the reward, those cool pictures, and he underestimated the risk and a gust of wind came and blew him off the building and he fell to his death, right? Sometimes we overestimate the reward and we underestimate the risk. But the opposite is also true. Sometimes we overestimate the risk, we build the risk up in our minds and we make it a lot worse than it is and we underestimate what the reward is gonna be. For example, um, one of my cousins is married to a guy who will not get on an airplane. Okay? He's, he, he overestimates the risk. He's terrified to get on an airplane. Um, actually, you know, statistically, it's probably more dangerous for him to drive to work in the morning than it is to get on an airplane. But he overestimates that risk. He will not get on an airplane. And as a result, he underestimates the reward, uh, you know, being able to actually go places. There's been a number of family gatherings that Alan wasn't there because he wouldn't get on a plane, and, and he couldn't drive there in time. It just wasn't going to happen. And so, so I, we don't know him nearly as well as the family, because he's just not there a lot. He lives out on the West Coast, because he underestimates the risk. and he I mean, he overestimates the risk and underestimates the reward. Now, many Christians, which of those would you put them in? I would say when it comes to living out our faith, specifically when it comes to sharing our faith with others, many Christians would fall into that second category where we overestimate what the risk is gonna be of sharing our faith and we underestimate what the reward is gonna be if people actually hear and listen to the good news about Jesus. Let's, uh, let's think about, though, the fact that there are some people in the world that don't overestimate the risk, that, uh, that literally when they share their faith or when they even gather to worship, they are risking their life. And, uh, and, and, and by the way, we want to make sure that we keep people who are part of the persecuted church in our prayers regularly. There are places in the world where you cannot gather to worship Jesus without the threat of prison or even death. If you want to learn more about that, by the way, if you go to persecution.com, that website there will give you stories and uh, people to be praying for who are really paying in some ways the ultimate price for their faith. But, but for most of us, that's not really true, right? For most of us, the risk in living out our faith is things like, well, I'm gonna take a risk and tell my friend that I'm a Christian and I think that Jesus loves her. Or I'm gonna take the risk and lead a small group even though uh, I, I've never led a small group before. Or I'm gonna get, take the risk and get involved in... Uh, uh, work the video for the service in the back and, or, uh, or, or take care of sound or, or sing in the choir. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a risk and get involved even though I'm not sure whether I'll be very good at it. That's the kind of risk we think of and I think sometimes we as Christians, in fact, often we overestimate that risk. You know, we think, well, what will happen if I tell my friend about Jesus and she thinks I'm an idiot? Or, 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 or what will happen if I, I won't do what my boss wants me to do because I want to live according to my faith and, you know, I, maybe I could lose my job? We overestimate those risks. And we underestimate the reward. We forget that eternity is at stake for people. We forget that, that, that if we were to share our faith with someone, if Jesus were to come today, there are people that, that we know that would not be going to heaven with us. And literally, eternity is at stake for them. The reward for them hearing about Jesus and coming to faith in him is huge. We underestimate that reward. Now, let's take a look at this story from the book of Acts. It's really, in some ways, part two to the story we heard about last week. So last week we heard about how Peter and John were there in the temple and there was this man who had been there for 40 years. Uh, By the way, I I thought Tony made a really interesting point last week, you know, because our question when we think about God healing people is always, why does he heal some people and not others? And, you know, and Tony, Tony pointed out that that man had been in that temple for 40 years. Jesus had been there and Jesus never healed him. You know, they were waiting for that right moment, and, and, and ultimate healing is always ours through Christ, right? When someday we know we're going to go to heaven. But, uh, but, but so, so this man becomes healed, and that attracts attention, and all of a sudden, uh, lots of people want to hear more about Jesus, but the religious leaders get involved too, and that's what we want to look at this week. We're told that the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. The people are like, well, tell us more about this Jesus. We saw that you just healed this guy. We want to know more. And the religious leaders come and they want to hear more too. But they are greatly disturbed because the apostles are teaching the people about Jesus, proclaiming the resurrection of the dead. By the way, it's kind of interesting. I always expect them to say proclaiming that Jesus died on a cross for people's sins, right? And, and of course, they proclaim that too. But for the early church, it was the resurrection that was the crucial moment. Because if Jesus just died on the cross and didn't rise again, then everything he said and taught came into question. But by rising from the dead, he validated everything he had said about who he was and what he had come to do. And of course, that was a problem for the religious leaders. And so they seized Peter and John and we're told that because it was evening, because it was the beginning of the Sabbath, they just they, they threw them in jail until the next day. But now the, the next day arrives. And, uh, and even though many, many people heard their, their message and it says that there were about 5,000 people now who were followers of Jesus, the church was growing dramatically as the early church family was sharing this good news. <laughs> the religious leaders bring uh, Peter and John before them. And uh, by the way, do you recognize some of those names? It says Annas the high priest was there, so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others. Why are those names familiar? Because these are the same people that arrested Jesus just a few months before. These are the same people that put Jesus on trial, and these are the same people that had Jesus crucified. And now... They bring Peter and John before them to question them. Now, interestingly enough, think about this for a minute. So Peter and John are in this building, and they're being questioned by Caiaphas, uh, by Annas, the high priest, and it's the same place where Jesus had been, so that means right outside this building was the courtyard where just a few months earlier, Peter had denied Jesus three times. Think about that. Just a few months earlier, Peter's out there in that courtyard and these same guys are questioning Jesus inside and people are walking up to Peter going, hey, aren't you one of his followers? He's going, not me. I don't know the guy. I don't know what you're talking about. But Peter's reaction is a little different now, isn't it? I mean, look at this. peters He's the one being questioned now. He's the one that, that, that could literally be crucified now. And look at what Peter does. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he says to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Wow, what's changed for Peter? He went from, I don't know who that guy is, to this, well, it's the Holy Spirit, right? He, he, Peter has encountered the risen Lord Jesus, and, uh, and, and now God's Spirit has been poured out on him, and filled with that Holy Spirit, he's bold to proclaim the gospel. Here's why this is really important. I think sometimes we think that if we're going to take risks for the gospel, we have to like, kind of screw up our own courage to do it. It's not about us. It's about about letting God's spirit be the thing that inspires us and gives us the courage and the strength to share the good news. The the story goes on, and I love this part of the story. This is a great verse. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and they realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. Do you feel unschooled and ordinary sometimes, especially when it comes to sharing your faith? I do. I do. You're going, wait a minute, Mark, you're a pastor, right? I still feel unschooled and ordinary. Somebody asked me the other day, by the way, do you still get nervous before you get up and preach? And I, every Sunday. And they're like, really? I'm like, yeah. You know, I, I don't feel adequate to do this. Nobody does. Nobody should. It's, but, it's, but it's God's strength that we count on. In fact, look at what it says. It says they, they were unschooled, ordinary men, and they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been With Jesus. Folks, that's where our strength comes from. Because we've been with Jesus. Now, not the same way they were, but right, but through God's word, through the sacrament that we're gonna receive later in this service, we have opportunities every day to be with Jesus. And that's the thing that makes the difference in our lives. Not because we went to seminary, not because we've uh, studied and practiced how to share our faith, although that's always a good thing to do. But but the strength to take risks for the gospel doesn't come from us, it comes from Jesus and the fact that we've been with him. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and they conferred together. What are we gonna do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they performed a notable sign. We can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And so that's what they do. They call them in and they command them not to speak about Jesus. And then when that doesn't work, they call them in again and this time they beat them up a little bit. They have them flogged and then they tell them, no, you can't speak about Jesus anymore. But but look at what Peter says. He says, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to God? As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. They just couldn't do anything but tell the good news about Jesus to anybody they encountered. So the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name for Jesus. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. They took incredible risks, risking their own life for the sake of the gospel. Folks, the gospel is risky business. Now, I know I said before that we as Christians sometimes overestimate that risk, and I think that's true, especially here in 21st century America. But the fact is, if we are gonna live our lives in such a way that, that we follow Jesus, that we share the good news with others, we are gonna take risks. We are gonna risk our job when, when we do what we know Jesus would want us to do instead of what our boss is telling us to do. We are gonna risk a friendship by going out on a limb and and telling people that that, that we know that Jesus loves them and and that we want them to understand and have the gift of that love at work in their lives so that they can live forever in heaven. We are going to take a risk when we step out and we lead a ministry or lead a small group or get involved in church. The gospel is a risky business, but the rewards are unbelievable, the fact that there were 5,000 new people following Jesus it was an incredible reward for Peter and John and the others. We see it all the time as we see more and more people coming to know about God's love and God's great grace. The rewards are great. Looks literally, people will be in heaven with us because we let God use us to make a difference in other people's lives. I have this little fantasy that I think of sometimes that I'm going to be in heaven someday and somebody's going to walk up to me and they're going to go, I know I'm here because of Jesus, but I just want you to know that he used you to get me here. Can you think of anything better? Eternity is at stake in people's lives. The gospel is risky business. I love C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Because Jesus is depicted in that book as Aslan, this powerful lion, right? And and, and I love that there's this conversation between one of the other talking animals, Mr. Beaver, and Susan, one of the the young children that have found their way into Narnia, and she's talking about Aslan, and she assumes Aslan is a man, and uh, and she's looking forward to meeting him, and Mr. Beaver goes, no, 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 Uh, Aslan's not a man. Aslan is a big, huge, powerful lion. And, And she's like, oh, really? Well, is he safe? he must be a safe lion then, right? And Mr. Beaver goes, safe? Of course he's not safe. But he's good. He's the king. Looks, Jesus is not safe. When he calls us to follow him, he's not calling us to a life of ease and safety. He's, He's not calling us to follow him just where it's easy to go. He's not promising us this life here on earth is just gonna go smoothly. In fact, it's the opposite. He promises us that people will make fun of us because we're Christians, that people um, will persecute us for his sake. He promises us life will not go great. Folks, the gospel, following Jesus is not safe, but it's worth it. Because if we are with Jesus, we are going to be willing to take gospel risks for him. Do you guys know who Penn Gillette is? He's a magician, part of that Penn and Teller thing, you know, and uh, they're very gifted guys. But Penn Gillette is also a very, very outspoken atheist. Um, one of his quotes there is, there are some fundamental differences between a god and a rock. First of all, a rock really exists. He just doesn't believe in God. And, uh, and, and you might expect how he would answer this question, should Christians be proselytizing, you might expect that he would say, no, that's a bad thing, right? Uh, that's proselytizing, it's kind of a bad word in the world today that it, people say it's like forcing your faith on other people. In other words, you can believe it you want, but you shouldn't be telling other people that they should believe it too. That's proselytizing, that's a bad thing. Now, interestingly enough, um, a, a few years ago, there was a man who came up to Penn Gillette after one of his shows, um, and he wanted to, to talk to him about something, and he wanted to give him something. And I think you might be surprised at, at Penn Gillette's response. He did a little video, a little live video blog on his, uh, on his, his blog uh, to talk about it. Listen to what he had to say.
1: And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it was from the New Testament, but I also thought I'm, it was Psalms from the New Testament, right here. Uh, Psalms from the New just part of the New Testament. little book about this big, this thick. You know? He said, I wrote in the front of it that I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of... Uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman, I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked at me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. He was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it that truck was bearing down on you there's a certain point where I tackle you and this is more important than that and I've always thought that and I've written about that and I've thought of it conceptually I know there's no God and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that Uh, but I'll tell you he was a very, very, very good man.
0: I love that one quote by him. You know, he says, how much do you have to hate somebody to believe that eternal life is possible and not tell them that? So, so here's this guy who does not believe in God. And uh, he's a famous atheist. And this guy walks up to him. And I imagine that that businessman that walked up to him with that, by the way, it was probably a New Testament with the Psalms, right? He had that wrong, he didn't understand that the Psalms weren't in the New Testament. But, uh, but, but so I imagine this guy walks up to with this New Testament with the Psalms and, and, and he's gonna, he's, I'm gonna give it to him. I'm, I'm gonna pray that, pray that God will use that word of God to make a difference in his life. I imagine that guy was terrified. I, I imagine he expected that, that Pendulette was either gonna laugh at him or, or was going to yell at him, or was going to have the security guard come and take him away. Notice the guy even made sure he said to him, hey, I'm not crazy or anything. I'm a businessman, right? You know." But he did it. He took a risk. And even the atheist, Pendulet, said that was, that was wonderful. I mean, if he really believes that, if he really believes that eternal life is possible, he'd have to be a real jerk and hate me to not want to tell me about it, right? So let me ask you the question. Who do you know... That if Jesus came today, they wouldn't be going to heaven with us. They're far from God. They, they don't know about his love and grace. They've not experienced that gift. Who do you know and, and what do you need to do so that you have that opportunity to tell them? Maybe it is give them a copy of the New Testament. Or, or, or maybe it is simply just share your story about how the love of Jesus has made a difference in your life. Or maybe you need to spend some time listening to what they believe first so you earn the opportunity to tell them what you believe. But but whatever it is, whatever the risk is, folks, the reward is unbelievable if someday that person is gonna be in heaven with us. We can't wait. We have this incredible gift that we've been given, the gift of the love and grace of God through Christ Jesus. We know Jesus, and so we have hope And we have the opportunity to share that hope with others. I pray that we would do that, that we would risk everything if necessary so that others would come to know him, both as individuals and as a church. Amen.